Hi, family, and welcome to Normal with Autism, the podcast where we invite people to the kitchen table to learn about those in the special needs community and provide hope and encouragement to all those in the special needs community. I'm Tara. I'm Sarah. And thanks for joining us again. Are you excited? I'm very excited. Are you nervous? Both. Okay. Tell me why you're nervous. Um, I'm nervous because we are in a very official setting. A very official setting with very official people. I know. And I keep saying weird things. Okay. And I can't make myself stop. Okay. Um, so just cut all of this. Okay, I Great. will. So we're going to tell Craig to, to cut it all? No, it's fine. it's fine. This is how I am. Okay. The sooner you realize that, the better. Okay. Well, come hear all of Sarah's weird stuff. Um, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Normal with Autism. And please kind of stop what you're doing right now and rate, review, and subscribe. That would be amazing. Um, Sarah. Yeah. Up. Can we talk about some of the official people in the room before we introduce our other official guests? Yeah. No, we can't. No, are we allowed? Should we ask our official people? We can't. They're we shaking can't. their head no. Okay, this is what I will tell you guys. Okay. Oh, is there one? is something really big coming. Huge. Huge. Massive. Giant. Bigger Adjectives. Than, than anybody could ever possibly imagine. It's going to be, yes, it's going to be awesome. Um, it's happening right now, but you don't know about it yet. And uh, we cannot wait to share it with you guys, but we can't right now. Because it's top secret. <laughs> but we will benefit from this, and, and you all will benefit from this, and we're very excited about what's coming up. We're in a brand new year for the podcast. Yes, we just had our one-year anniversary. Woohoo! Yeah. Go us. We made it. It was kind of like giving birth and, and raising a toddler. A little bit. All the craziness and the ups and downs and the crazy episodes and wonderful episodes but we decided this year we're like yes we got this yes we our first year was like figuring out how to podcast and yes. like kind we're of being still... all over the place and then coming like our year two is going to be right like a little more polished hopefully yeah. and like we know what we want now we so it'll hope be... We It'll hope, be great. We hope it's more. Polished. Listen, it's been great so far, but it's about to get greater. We're we're gonna get bigger. All right, good. Well, here's our segment. Tell me uh, what's good. Um, first of all, we had our first live appearance. Yay! Woohoo! Thank and you, all 27 people. You I guys know. are all amazing. <laughs> but you know what was wonderful about that is we got to like look on every face. We got to meet everybody. Yes. We got to talk to everybody afterwards. The women's ministry was amazing. Leanne is amazing. Yes. We love her. Um, shout out to our friends that joined us. We love them. Yes. And we just, we had a good time. It was, it was a really great time. So we talked about um, shattering the lies that we believe as women. Woo. And we it's got heavy topic. really deep and personal. And yes. yeah, it was really fun. It was really hard to be that vulnerable, but it was a lot of fun. And we wore our t-shirts. We have t-shirts now. And people want but to. But only, only two. Me and Tara are the only ones that have t-shirts. t-shirts. <laughs> but people want to buy them. Yeah. So maybe that is something exciting that is coming. Maybe. Soon. I mean, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe you'll get a koozie. Who knows? Who knows? So thank you to a koozie. 
I don't know. Do people use koozies? Somebody said they get a koozie. It wasn't for a drink. It was for something else. And I can't. I'll share that later. I'll come back to that. Great. Oh, for your water bottle. A koozie for your water bottle. Oh. Okay. All right. Anyway, moving on. I don't know if they're the same or different. But um, so, yeah, we are going to kind of move into the episode um, because we have a lot to cover again. Yes, a lot of really great information is coming Mm -hmm. straight for your ear holes. All right, so we are back here uh, with our advocate friends, our parent and child advocates um, here at AW Law or All Bite Wiker, and um, we're going to just kind of introduce them. Um, And what's really neat is today, basically, our friends kind of just wrote the episode for us. Um, It came about because I let Chad Abraham know that we get a lot of people asking us, um, what do we do if we're in school and we think our child might have a disability? Mm -hmm. Um, So we're here kind of to talk about that today because, again, the, the school year is in full swing. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have with other special needs parents that I've kind of been friends with and that kind of thing, that it's normally around this time, parents start getting emails, start getting letters, start getting notices at home, like something's going on with your child. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be quite stressful Mm -hmm. as a parent to hear. I mean, it is, not sometimes, it is, right? So we're going to turn things over to them today. Um, And I really want to encourage everybody to listen to this episode because whether you are um, a person who supports a a special needs person, you might need to hear this as some information maybe you could give to them. Or if you're a new parent, maybe, like maybe you've just been newly diagnosed, your your kiddo's been newly diagnosed, we want you to listen. And of course, people in the, in the, community who have been veterans Mm -hmm. I mean I kind of consider myself a little further along in the journey Um, we want you to listen today too because you always learn something new and we always learn something new or if you're an educator it would be good to listen so that you know the parents point of view and maybe that can you know help how you address the situation absolutely absolutely and I just it would go to build those relationships between parents between the schools between Um, advocates, all of us are working together for the benefit of the child. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to introduce back to you Chad Abraham. Hello, everyone. Yay. And Danielle Rudolph. Randolph. Randolph, who is (laughs) joining us new today. Oh, sorry about that. It's okay. We practiced that. We did like five times. I get it a lot. Do you? I do. Okay. All right. Good. I feel better. It's my married name. Okay. All right. Well, it's, that could have been my fault because I thought that was your last name until just now. Oh, oh, we'll see. So now that's I don't my fault. I apologize. So I, I make mistakes. That's okay. Now I don't feel so bad. All right. Well, thank you both for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking time from your busy schedule um, and sharing all of the wealth of information that you guys have. Um, so why don't we just kind of jump right into it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Chad, I was on the website, um, and that's one that everybody can go to. Can you give that again to our listeners right now so they know yep. the it's website? It's awlawohio.com. Okay, so awlawohio.com. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of good blog posts, articles, lots of good information for people to kind of dive into there. Um, and I noticed there's a, a really nice article that kind of gives a breakdown of what to do if you suspect your child has a disability. Yep. 
Um, and so I think we could just kind of jump into that. Um, do you think it would be a good idea to start with like what some of the terms mean that we kind of commonly throw around? I do. Okay. Um, but before we get started with that, I want to thank both of you for coming back. Aww. And we are so excited for whatever is to come because I guess I'm not even privy to that information. But, <laughs> you know, the relationship uh, that we have built, you know, thanks a lot for coming back. We appreciate that. Thanks for having us. I know. And I wanted to let you guys know that the episode that we did is one of our most popular. It is. Oh, one of the most downloaded. We've a lot of feedback about it, a lot of good feedback, a lot of questions have been answered. Um, so we just, we really appreciate you guys and giving us your, your expert advice. Yes. And you're a celebrity now. How does it feel? A podcasting celebrity. No, I am pretty good. <laughs> um, we'll have to get my, uh, you know, your security office. detail when I walk out of the <laughs> office to make sure that the paparazzi stay away. No, but I am so that. happy to be with you too. And Danielle again, because it was wonderful last time. Okay, yeah, so um, jumping into the terms, the different terms, um, looking at that article, there were a lot of different kind of lingo type things in there. One of them I noticed, I hadn't heard this one before, it was called child find. Can we, can we start there and kind of work our way through? Absolutely. Okay, so what, is, what does child find mean? Well, child find is the district's responsibility to find kiddos who have a disability. So in a nutshell, that's what it is. Um, it typically happens at age three or in preschool. So if we have kiddos that, as a district, that we suspect have a disability, and I say we because I've been in school psych for seven years in a school district, so I'm still... Oh, yeah, should we, like, should we rewind a <laughs> little The vernacular of we. Who, who is this weird voice? <laughs> Danielle, can you introduce yourself sure. to us a little bit, and then we'll learn more about your expertise. Like and... we were saying, more polished, yeah. more professional. Yeah. This is our big year. All right. Sure. Go ahead. So again, Danielle Randolph <laughs> is my name, and I am from Central Ohio, born and raised. Um, but I have been a school psych for seven years, and I was also a special education coordinator for four of those years. Um, moved back down to Central Ohio to be close to my family, and I'm very excited to be um, a special education advocate. So sort of taking my knowledge and turning it um, to the other side of the table. Um, but so, yeah, so I've been a school psych for seven years in a district, and child find, like I said, is the district's responsibility to find kids who have disabilities, so to evaluate, identify, and serve. Um, and so, like I said, typically uh, that could be a parent making a referral that they suspect their child has a disability. It could be an agency. It could be coming through um, Help Me Grow or early intervention. Um, so that's just really the state says, if you know there's a child in your district that has a disability, it's your responsibility to find them, evaluate, identify, serve. So as you were talking, I was kind of visualizing, like I'm picturing the school with the kiddo in the middle and then all these different avenues of folks who could identify or who could report and say, hey, I think something's going on with little Johnny. You know, we need to take this and look at it. And, and really you're saying it ultimately falls on the school as their responsibility to kind of be in charge of that? The state, yes, the state says it's the school's responsibility to okay. um, really go forward with that measure. If a parent says, I think my child has a disability, then it does fall into the lap of the school district and you have to do something with that information. Good, okay. What about the kiddos, though, you know, that I worry about that are in private schools? Yeah. Well, and, and sometimes that would be a referral from the school itself, from the private school. Um, and that goes back to the district of residence. So wherever that parent lives, 
Um, so if you have a student that is attending a private school, then it would go back to that district of residence. Um, and in my experience, um, nine times out of 10, the private school will make that referral. Um, but again, that could be a parent making a referral as well. I feel like maybe we could almost do a whole episode on yeah. just on that, like the, the district versus the, the private or the, mm. the homeschool type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, it's all children with disabilities residing in that district mm-hmm. who are homeless, mm-hmm. wards of the state, attending private schools, attending religious schools. It's still homeschooled. That, yeah, mm-hmm. it's still that homeschool mm-hmm. um, responsibility to identify, evaluate, and service. Okay. And how would a parent go about making that referral? I mean, usually it could just be a simple phone call, email, um, but I would suggest trying to set up a meeting. So as a parent, if you have concerns about your child, getting a hold of the school district, whether that's the school psychologist, the special education coordinator, or even your child's general education teacher, just saying, hey, I have some concerns, can we have a meeting and have everybody at the table to talk about what those concerns are? Because I would anticipate that the teacher probably has similar concerns as the parent. Um, in that regard. Document the meeting. Make sure that it's documented because that is, I think, great advice just to keep the um, bridge between the school district and the parents, you know, that it doesn't become an adverse, you're going to have to rewind for me because I can't say that word, (laughs) adversarial right away. Right, adversarial, yes. Yeah. so having those conversations, but at the same time, you know, don't let anything delay the evaluation if you really suspect that disability. Right, and that so, kind of goes into the RTI, the response to intervention. I think sometimes school districts will use RTI to delay an evaluation, and the state says you cannot do that. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us really quickly again, what is RTI? What does that stand for? Response to intervention. Response to intervention? Yes. Okay, and basically give us like the the I looked it up on Google and this is what it told me version <laughs> if you can so, let me do yeah the goal of RTI is for the school to step in or intervene and begin supporting the student before any student falls really behind mm-hmm. so it's very proactive RTI was really a three a multi-tier three-tiered system though for the general education students who were slipping through the cracks okay um there are interventions in place that starts with tier one tier two and tier three tier one would be your general classroom maybe with some interventions tier two is targeted instruction and then you know really when they get to tier three we probably need to be looking at some sort of formal plan but no matter what tier the student is mm-hmm. quote unquote on with the rti process it cannot delay a formal evaluation if you put it in writing Okay. What, I guess I'm trying to understand. And it can't delay, and any interventions that they're doing need to continue while they're doing the evaluation. Yep. Any interventions that they are doing need to continue. I hope people are taking notes on this at home. You look like you wanted to ask a question. Um, I just have a a quick question. Um, What kind of things should parents be looking for? Like when you're when you're saying, I think my child has a disability, that's not always autism or dyslexia. Like there's, it's a lot more than, you know, you would think. So what are the things that they should be looking out for 
to see if their child has a disability. I think educationally. We, yeah, I think we could do another episode on that because <laughs> just that the, one by itself. There's yeah. so many. Um, I would say something that's ongoing. Um, you know, it wouldn't be, hey, Johnny had a rough week last week in math class. I would say if it's something that you've seen, whether it's throughout a school year or multiple school years, um, and that could be, you know, anxiety, depression, academic issues, um, behavioral issues, social skills, a lot of different areas. But if you see that it's continuing to happen um, at home and at school, then I would say that's kind of when you think as a parent, maybe there's something more going on. And I always... Parents know best. Um, I have a daughter at home, and you have that parental instinct. And nine times out of ten, I will tell you, you're typically correct with that instinct. Mm -hmm. And all, using the RTI, though, mm -hmm. you know, I think it is a good way to gather data, mm -hmm. you know, and to get to that point of mm -hmm. the evaluation. Mm -hmm. Data, mm -hmm. data, and data and yes. documentation. Yeah. The two, the two Ds is yes. what I'm I'm taking away from this so yep. far. Okay. Yeah, and we tell people all the time, you know, people come to us and they're like, hey, I think there might be something going on with my kid. What do I do? And we tell them, get an evaluation. It's not going to cost you anything. You're not going to lose anything. You have nothing to lose. You know, if he doesn't need help, then that's great. But if he needs, you know, 20 minutes of OT a week to work on, you know, letter formation or holding scissors or whatever it may be, then get that help. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about the term ETR and what that means? I'll let the school site talk about that. <laughs> so ETR stands for Evaluation Team Reports. It used to be called an MFE, Multi-Factored Evaluation. So many so letters. Many acronyms. <laughs> I know. So many letters. I know it. Um, so really what it is, it's the evaluation part where we look at all the different pieces of information, collect it, and then have a meeting to say, do we suspect your child has a disability? Um, and I know, you know, Chad and I were talking before about the planning meeting, which is usually the start of an evaluation, but even backing that up, referral. Um, I would say know, know who to contact at the school when you have a concern. Um, I, you know, reach out to the school psychologist and the special education coordinator. Those are going to be your two people that I would say, if you have a concern, you suspect a disability, write a letter, write an email to those two individuals, and usually you're going to get get that meeting that you want you didn't say phone call though I noticed I would I, th I would always have it in writing because um, phone calls and, and and not on anyone but phone calls can get missed or forgotten about and I would say if you put it in an email then it's saved for future reference um, to be able to go back and say hey I emailed you last week and haven't heard back um, but I would say make that referral and then that will lead you into the discussion and if everyone agrees yes we also suspected disability then we'll go into your planning meeting which really is the crux of planning for the ETR okay so the first step would be reaching out documenting it like through an email mm -hmm. and then the second step would be to have that meeting mm -hmm. and then the third would be everybody would agree that they would move forward with some type of right assessments right that kind of thing and mm -hmm. intervention you don't what i'm hearing is you don't have to wait for assessments to be completed to get interventions well hopefully interventions are have already been started okay if, if you if the school district has a concern and they suspect a disability then i sure as heck would hope they're already doing interventions they're already or, it really or depends the, on your district <laughs> or the rti process is in effect okay yeah okay 
And then another term that we have, I think this might be our our last one. And then we're going to kind of... Can gonna we go back to the ETR, though? Yeah, we we're going to circle back. Cause to you the planning won't... meeting, because that's my... Oh, well, pl- yeah. go go for it. Yeah. I think it was number two on the list was the planning meeting. And I'll defer to the school psych again, but that is one of the meetings that I really hone in on, and I think parents need to as well, because at that meeting, yes, you're talking about whether or not the district is going to evaluate your child, um, but also what assessments they're using, um, what specialists are going to be giving those assessments, and lastly, what suspected disability or disabilities are we testing for? So that is, I mean, that's the groundwork for building, you know, a very good ETR and an IEP to drive mm-hmm. it. Is it kind of from the school psych perspective, so I know as a therapist, assessments feel daunting and almost like the holy grail for parents. Like it's, it's like there's maybe sometimes 20 pages to answer, like the parent might have to do an assessment. Oh, like a rating scale, you mean? Yeah. And so they feel overwhelmed by it, mm-hmm. but they also feel like, well, this is going to give me finally the answers that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. There's almost like this kind of double-edged cut to it, if yeah. you will. Do you have any kind of, um, I don't know, advice or like this is how they should maybe feel about the assessment process? Because I, I just know that that can be overwhelming for folks. Well, and it can be, and those 60 days can really drag on, you know? <laughs> um, I would say, yeah, rating skills are an opportunity for you as a parent to really document the concerns. And as a school psychologist, obviously parent input is huge. So whether that's through a parent interview, background information, or those rating scales, that's your opportunity to provide information about your child and about your concerns. Um, But the planning meeting, like Chad was saying, is huge because that's the point where the district and the parent talk about the suspected disability. And, And I'm not a sugar coder. So I'm always one who wants to go through those disability categories and really state what they are and what we're looking at um, instead of just maybe glossing over it because we don't want to hurt feelings. But I think it, that's the opportunity you have to say, here's what we're looking at and here's how we're going to evaluate for that suspected disability. Because once it's on the planning sheet, it can't be changed unless a parent district agreed to an amendment on the planning mm-hmm. sheet. Mm-hmm. So once it's on there, it's on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but rating skills are usually a huge part, especially if you're looking at adaptive behavior concerns or social emotional behavior concerns. Um, those rating skills are really where it's at for information. But yes, I know that can be daunting mm-hmm. and there's a lot of information, a lot of time spent filling out those rating skills. Well, I kind of like how you said, I mean, let's not really sugarcoat this. It's hard as a parent to look at regularly what your child can't do. Yeah. And I think for those who are maybe new in this process, they've probably already been determining, I mean, if they're kind of tuned into their child at all, like something's not right, Yeah. right? They're, they're, the child's missing something, we just don't feel good about it. So I guess I just, I would hope that parents could look at it and just know that this is just a tool in the toolbox that mm-hmm. we will use to help the kiddo get to where they need to be. And maybe, uh, Chad, I remember in our last episode, you said kind of take some of that emotion out of it if you can. Maybe dial it back just a little bit. Yeah, but I mean, it is, 
for the benefit of your child too. Mm -hmm. It is that roadmap that's going to drive the IEP, drive the services. Okay. Um, you know that they're going to be getting. So just make sure you're honest. Take your time. You, you know? never want to be sitting at that eligibility meeting, hearing a disability category, and be shocked. Mm-hmm. That's why mm -hmm. I think the planning meeting is so important because you have that time to sort of get in the and. I don't know, the right mind space and going through that evaluation. So when you sit down for the ETR meeting, okay, let, let's talk about what we found and, and not be surprised necessarily about what the district is presenting. Okay. What are some of the categories on the ETR and how does that category drive the services they can get? Well, I'm sure, I don't know if you've heard, I'm sure a lot of people have heard um, that the disability category does not drive services. Mm -hmm. And I agree but disagree with that um, because I think, and again, it's a school psych, right? I put my heart and soul in those ETRs. Um, but I think if, if you have an ETR, you want that to describe the child and the child's needs and you don't want it to be misleading. And so some of the categories are um, autism, specific learning disability, which goes with the dyslexia, um, hearing impairment, visual impairment, multiple disabilities, intellectual disability. Let's talk about OHI. Other health impairment, which is sort of the catch-all category for all of your medical diagnoses. Um, ADHD typically falls into that. Owens is under emotionally disturbed, yep. which I super love. Well, in Ohio, is, I know, Ohio is one of the few uh, states that use emotional disturbance. Others use emotional disability. Um, or, you know, I think it used to be called like a severe behavior handicap is what it used to be called, which mm. doesn't sound any better. Mm -mm. Um, I kind of like that better, though. No, do that, you? there do was. You? It was SBH rooms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, and, I, and again, it's one of those categories that as a parent you don't want to hear because it just sounds ugly. Mm -hmm. It really does. But I think, you know, one of the things that falls into that is anxiety. Um, so your mental health, so anxiety, depression falls into emotional disturbance. Um, as well as some social emotional behavior concerns. And I think a lot of times it gets a bad rap because people think, well, once they're labeled ED, they're going to be pushed off to a different school. And that's not, that shouldn't be the case. And I think, too, um, you've got to remember that it's not a diagnosis mm -hmm. from a doctor. It's simply a category that is best going to serve your child under IDEA. Yeah. So that's what you have to keep in mind. You know, it's not a, a medical diagnosis. It's simply for categorization. Yeah. We just need Chad and Danielle to come with us and, like, sit on our shoulders and be like, it's going to be fine. Yes. You're going to be I okay. I like to go shopping with Danielle. No. I know. <laughs> we have to. We will. She has the cutest dress. No, I know. Thank and you. And it has pockets. It does have pockets. <laughs> And poor Chad showed and Chad up. Chad is lovely as always. He is, but he's feeling sad. <laughs> he does not have pockets, though. I know. I have, I have pockets on my pants. I mean, right. yeah, not on my dress. I, well, she, I she won that battle this morning. Thank you. Thank you. One nothing. Well, and I think going with what Chad just said with autism being a, a category under IDEA, um, that, is, that is an area that the school district can evaluate, identify, and serve. It's not a diagnosis. It's not a medical diagnosis, but it is an eligibility category, and the state says it is the district's responsibility to evaluate. Um, so that can be scary, I think, for parents, uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Autism kind of seems like I'm hearing it more, where parents maybe think their child is on the spectrum because it is a spectrum. Um, but unfortunately, I hear some parents get pushback from their districts, and the di district says, we're not going to evaluate for that. That's a medical diagnosis, and that is that is false. Mm -hmm. um, and it hurts my heart to hear that because, as a school psych, that's my job. My job is to evaluate. Yeah. What do you What do you think that 
Because I, I, I've experienced that as well. The district, because I have a relationship with our, our hospital here, Children's Hospital, and they will evaluate yes. Finn for me. And the district seems to be like, well, yeah, go have them do it. And then we'll, if we need to fill in the gaps, we will. What, so what is that about? Is it just they're, the districts are kind of worried about the whole medical diagnosis thing that they think? Um, I think some districts don't feel comfortable in their evaluation tactics. And, and I think autism is a heavy term. It's a heavy label, quote unquote. Mm. And so they maybe feel that Nationwide Children's is better versed to do that. But where I sit is, is I think the school district knows probably the child best than those doctors who have never seen them that are going to have that child in a clinical setting, one-on-one with adults, um, having you know structured activities. To me, that's not maybe going to show what the kiddo is doing in the classroom or at recess when they're taking the dirt by themselves. So I think as a school district, when we're able to have a nice team that's trained in evaluating, doing all these observations and those lovely rating skills, but looking at all those pieces of information and sitting down and determining, do we see autism? I think they're way, way better well-versed to do that than perhaps the doctors. you know, my sister, my sister, um, she went through that where her kiddo um, went to Nationwide and was not identified at a young age, even though I knew as a school psych that he was on the autism spectrum. She reached out to her district two different times, and they both, at those d- different times, they said, eh, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't do that. And I kept telling her, keep pushing, keep pushing. She went back to Nationwide probably maybe five years later, got a diagnosis, when the school district and said, here's my diagnosis. And I said, okay, let's change that ETR. And I just thought all that time was wasted and the school district could have done something earlier. They could have stepped in. Um, you know, and so that that frustrates me with the, with the label, I guess, of autism. When the school district can, they can evaluate and they should evaluate and the state says that you're able to and that you should. Um, because I think having an IEP for a child on the autism spectrum is different than having an IEP for a child with an emotional disturbance, perhaps. Services might look different and they might be, um, I hate to say treated differently, but they may. Um, if we know a child has autism versus they have some behavioral concerns. Mm-hmm. That was that, my that's why thoughts. I brought up OHI, <laughs> the other health impairment, because I think we have a lot of students that may be on the spectrum that are you know, caught on that umbrella category of other health impairment. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to what should you do first, you know, if you suspect a disability, because Danielle and I kind of <laughs> went back and forth about this. I believe if it's an initial evaluation, okay, never been evaluated before, that it doesn't hurt to go out and get an independent evaluation done to bring to the table because it just gives, you know, I agree with Danielle, the teachers, the administrators, People that work with that student all the time are going to know them best in the school district. But at least you have a framework of how, you know, what are the functions of behaviors, things like that. And a lot of times when you lay that down, it makes things go a lot easier because they have that diagnosis. And I learn something new every day, but there are a lot of universities and colleges that will do those outside evaluations at little and sometimes no cost to the parents. Interesting. Um, so this isn't on the outline. Sorry, guys. But uh, <laughs> you're a rebel. I'm a rebel. <laughs> Sorry, I'm burning everything. Um, so, for example, Owen, my son, has both autism and a mental illness. So, um, a, a mood disorder, whatever you want. He's mentally ill. It's fine. Let's, let's just say what it is. Um, his ETR, <clears throat> excuse me, is under emotionally disturbed. 
it has been since he was in preschool. Um, he was diagnosed with autism in first grade and I took his evaluation to the school and I was like, hey guys, can we, like Owen has autism, can we, you know, change some things? And they told me just because you have a medical diagnosis mm-hmm. of autism doesn't mean you have an educational You're absolutely right. diagnosis of, of autism. So even though my son does have autism, it's not the thing prohibiting his education the most. It's still, you know, his ADHD and his mood disorder. Like, those are his main problems. So, um, you know, I hear this sometimes, like, oh, I got, you know, we got autism diagnosis. He's going to get autism on, on his ETR. He's going to get an IEP for it. Um, but that's not always the case. So can we talk a little bit about the difference between a medical diagnosis and a educational diagnosis as best as we can? Because I know you're not doctors. Well, you're a doctor. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, no, you're not. No, my initials are DR. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Forget everything I just said. <laughs> I no. don't know if Craig can edit that part out. It's <laughs> fine. Okay. Um, so, right, we, you know, in the school setting, I, I, we know we don't want to use the term diagnosis because we cannot diagnose, but we can make eligible. We can evaluate and make eligible for services. Um, but you're absolutely right. You can go to a district and you can make a referral request for an evaluation and they can deny it. You can bring in a private evaluation and they all they have to do is look at it and they can deny it. Um, and so that's why, again, I'm hesitant on, on let's go with a private evaluation from the get go. Cause the district can still say, nope, not accepting that, um, and move on. Um, and they do a private notice and, and that's that, that's, that's what they can do. Yeah. And it can take it's, six to eight months to get a private diagnosis. If you're going mm-hmm. through nationwide, if mm-hmm. you're going through children's, yeah. you know, there's a lot of kids that need a lot of help. So there's a lot of waiting lists. Mm-hmm. It, right. it doesn't end though. We're not going to evaluate. So, but right. Can, I mean, because district will write your prior written notice saying that they don't suspect a disability for whatever reasons, they better have good data to back that up. Um, because it goes back to the, you know, if I have that outside diagnosis, I do have some data to back that up. Um, so if you disagree with that, you can write what's called a dissenting opinion, and there, you know, you can definitely take it up the escalation ladder, I guess, um, to get things done. That. Oh yeah. That was my rainbow of knowledge. I thought <laughs> I thought this might be a, a a simple question to say, like, what do we do first if we suspect our kiddo has a disability? And I'm I'm feeling like it's, there's it's, a it's lot case of, by yeah. case, case too. Okay. I mean, it's case because I, I I know where Danielle is coming from, and it should be. You know, I, when I was teaching, I used to hate even the advocates that would come in and, you know, try to tell me, well, you've never been in a classroom. You don't even know this student that well. So I absolutely agree with her. I'm just saying for getting it going quickly, if you have that outside diagnosis, lay it on the table because it's going to move things along. I would suspect. The more data you have, the better off you are. Yeah, you get a big three-ring notebook and start keeping everything. Data and documentation. Mm -hmm. So in a perfect world, if you're new in this whole thing. You're a parent, you're concerned, you're overwhelmed. First step, if you suspect your kid has a disability is? I would say contact the school and and request a meeting. In writing? Yes, in writing. I would agree. Yeah, so that that should be step number one. So hopefully everybody wrote that down just now. If you're taking notes, write that down. From all of the things we've just covered, 
that's one of the most important things to be doing. And again, I would say know who you're sending that email to because if you're just going to send it to the general education teacher, I would also include the district administrators um, because I think that's going to get things moving a little bit quicker too. Mm -hmm. Yes, as a as a therapist, I'm always asking um, parents like if I'm working with their kiddos, who who does the kiddo have a relationship with at school? Um, sometimes that can point us in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, like you said, those higher up kind of people, the school counselor, the school psychologist, they all kind of need to be yeah. in the know is yeah. what I'm hearing from you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then they have 15 days to schedule that meeting. That's a good point that I did not know. 15 days to schedule. Oh, it was 30, so that's good to know. Okay. They have 30 days to respond to okay. a request for an evaluation. Okay. okay. Is any of this confusing yet? I know, right? Clear as mud, right? Um, okay. Um, so we, we talked about that. Kit and the school can say no. We don't have to do an evaluation. Um, what would be, I, I don't know if you can speak to this, but what would be some of the reasons they would say no? Well, I think, again, being on the district side, sometimes you would have a parent that would come and say, my child really is struggling with math, and they've always struggled with math. Um, I think they might have a disability in math. And we would maybe have like STAR data, which is a progress monitoring tool, maybe STAR data, um, some grades, some test scores, um, different pieces of data as a school district to say, you know what, math is not your child's greatest strength. We agree with that, but they are making progress. And when you look at, um, you know, all the kids sort of in a group, you know, your child is, is kind of in the middle. So we're providing some interventions, we're doing this, that, and we have data to support maybe not suspecting disability at this time. I would always say, Let, let's keep an eye, let's re-meet, you know. If they're doing interventions, though, because that's where I get you know, yeah. the RTI, yeah. let's document those. And right. usually interventions are documented on an IEP. So, you know, I think if there's interventions in place and they're working, great. But if they're not working, you know, I think we need, or even if they are working, let's document it. Let's write them down somewhere. That's where I get, not upset, but disappointed that with the RTI process that there's no formal really plan anybody supervising it so if you're doing interventions great because there's wonderful teachers out there that are doing wonderful things to make kids successful mm-hmm. just write it down okay. yeah um so you mentioned iep so can you just tell us real quickly what the difference is between an iep and perhaps a 504 sure so a 504 is for to put it simply is accommodations based um, you're not typically going to get that systematic instruction um, that you're going to get from an IEP. An IEP is an individualized education plan. There are going to be goals and objectives that you're going to set for that child, whether it be educationally, social, emotionally, behaviorally. Um, you get a progress report every nine weeks on how they're doing on them on those goals and objectives. An IEP is much more in depth. And it's monitored more frequently. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with a 504 because I think there are many students out there that we would enable them by moving them to an IEP. And a 504 is sufficient enough for them to get through school because essentially if they want to when they go to college, it's going to turn into a 504 even if they were on an IEP. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the least restrictive Mm -hmm. possible. 
Go ahead. Usually the big difference is on the ETR, one of the one of the questions you have to answer is, does the child need specially designed instruction? And if you say no, that's really where you're looking at a 504 versus an IEP. Because specially designed instruction is doing things differently. I'm teaching your child differently teaching. because... We're teaching, them. We're teaching um, them these skills, yeah. Right, because they're not getting it the way everyone else is. Um, so if you say, no, we don't need that, but we need some accommodations, that's where you have a 504. Okay, yeah. So much more involved, much more in-depth in the IEP... 504, the keyword I heard you use was accommodations. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, okay. So we've kind of covered, have we covered all our acronyms and letters and prior written notice? Prior written. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I Can, think that we, yeah. Did we cover prior written notice? Just know that as a parent, I mean, that official form that comes home that says PRO1 in the upper right hand corner, it's prior written notice, is usually after a meeting and now it could be for other things if you're disagreeing but after an IEP meeting or something like that that the district writes up it's a summary of the meeting any you know anything you agree to or that you disagree to and justifications as to why mm-hmm. now everybody's human they're trying to take those notes just like you are in the meeting so there might be missing information so I just want to go back again and say that you have a right as a parent to respond to that prior written notice. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of districts are gonna change them because they've already written them, but if you write a dissenting opinion and ask them to staple it to that prior written notice, you know, with whatever date was on it, then when they pull that, you know, there's a dissenting opinion. So there's two sides to the story that is documented. Gotcha, okay, okay. Um, Can we talk real quick about what kind of accommodations a 504 might include and what kind of, diagnosis that might cover. Like for example, um, we have a friend whose child has anxiety, mm-hmm. particularly around tests. Mm-hmm. So they have a 504 that gives them more test time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably your top ones are gonna be small group testing, extended time for tests, frequent breaks. Um, those are usually your top three that are gonna be on a 504. Um, but if they have you know, medical diagnosis, it could be that they're able to have additional bathroom breaks or to be able to have um, their own snack and water bottle. Um, you know, there, it, it, there are a lot of things you can put on a 504 and really any diagnosis. But you can also do um, a specific learning disability on a 504. So if you have a kiddo, again, that kiddo that's struggling in math, um, let's say we did an evaluation and we're like, ah, oh, they do need some help. Maybe it is they need to be in a small group because they have attention difficulties as well. So maybe doing a 504 versus an IEP. Um, or if you have a kid that ha- was on an IEP, we reevaluated, ah, oh, they don't quite need an IEP anymore. Let's do a 504 to still provide some of those supports. Um, that's always a possibility as well. And that I think that's a perfect point. That's why an ETR and everything that goes with it is so important because. Danielle mentioned, you know, SLD specific learning disability for the 504. Well, because they're having trouble in math, but it might not be a specific learning disability in math. It might be their ADD, you know, or something that's prohibiting to get to that or impeding them to get to that mm-hmm. instruction. Okay. So that, I mean, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So you suspect the disability, you've emailed, you know, documented your request to get the ball rolling in terms of an evaluation process, the ETR happens, you know, the the time has passed, the results are in, and you as the caregiver maybe do not agree with the results. What now? So there is something called um, an independent educational evaluation. Um, It is an outside evaluation that is paid for by the district 
um, you have to, and I'm not just saying that because I believe in documentation and writing everything down, you have to formally ask them for an IEE. What will happen then is there's some time that goes by and they will give you a list of four providers that you can go to. You can challenge those providers, but usually out of the four, there's some good ones, you know, that, that I've worked with. But you go get that outside evaluation, bring it back to the table, you'll meet with the team again. Now, the tricky thing about this is the IEE could say, child has a disability, it fits this category, you know, this, that, and the other. Team can consider it, but still say no. Right. And then, again, the escalation ladder begins. Mm-hmm. Well, and I will say, remember, too, with an ETR, if it's an initial ETR, the parent has to sign that and agree with those services in order to get an IEP. Once reevaluations occur, we don't need a parent signature. So if you as a parent don't agree with that and you want to sign disagree, just know the school district can still go on with that. Um, oh, wow. That's why they have a school administrator that's on the team because actually that person is the one who kind of makes the final decision. So really it's only that initial IEP and that initial ETR that we need a parent signature for. All the other ones you don't. The district can move forward without a parent signature. Change of placement you need a signature right. for. Right, yep, absolutely. Change of placement, thank you. Okay, okay. Um, so, Sarah's eyes are bulging. Was that a lot of information? <laughs> I think Danielle likes to talk more than I do. <laughs> oh, <I'm laughs> I'm super it's a soapbox I get on and I can't help it. I'm just really surprised by some of these, you know, answers. <laughs> I know. It, I think you're still processing. Like, I didn't think they could do anything without a parent signature. Mm-hmm. She's processing that still. No, there's only, yeah, initial um, yeah. ETR, initial IEP, and a change of placement. So that would be yeah. kids on an IEP maybe going to public schools, and they feel alternate placement is better suiting his needs. Mm-hmm. You would have to sign off as a parent to make that change. Mm-hmm. But those are the only three things that you need a signature. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Well, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Actually, can we talk about school placement real quick? Uh oh. Sure. Okay. Which we could probably do a whole. <laughs> I'm gonna just slide this microphone on over. <laughs> okay. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm gonna push my two o'clock back to five. <laughs> <laughs> um. So my son has a change of placement. Um, at first, so when. He, when he was hospitalized the second time while he was still in the hospital the school psychologist called me and said hey this isn't working out Owen we really think Owen needs to go somewhere else and I said no so the agreement that we came to was that he would do half day Mm -hmm. sessions so he went to actually he never made it through an entire day of first grade Uh, so he would go for a half day he would come home on the kindergarten bus Uh, Then when he was hospitalized again in December, while he was still in the hospital, um, they called me again and were like, he can't come back here. So at that time, we had to, he was put on home instruction for two whole months while we fought back and forth because autism wasn't on his ETR. They weren't, they wouldn't consider the schools that I maybe wanted him to go to, the autism specific schools, because his ETR was under ED, they don't have to consider that. So we went back and forth on what school is he going to go to, um, and we did have to sign a change of placement, but it took a while because I didn't just accept their first offer or, you know, their recommendation. Of the, that, of the, the school that they want to send him yeah. to. Um, 
and I think th this is a good question too because as I learn you know more as I go through the job the autism scholarship although I think it has its purpose I am not a huge fan of mm -hmm. because parents if they want the quality placements that have the specialists there that are there all the time, the autism scholarship is not going to cover that. It, it's almost half. Yeah. Um, and the scholarship doesn't cover transportation. And you're waiving your rights to a free and appropriate public education when you take the scholarship. Yeah. So, so like Tara, for example, takes the autism scholarship. We live on the east side of Columbus. There's no schools available. Mm -hmm. So she, you know, had to quit her job so she can drive her son to school and pick him up every day on the other side of the city. My son goes to school almost 45 minutes away. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we have a school contract, so they pay for his transportation. Otherwise, I would have to quit my job, and then how do I pay my bills? Mm -hmm. Within know? 30 what, minutes. Wait, the, the right. school is to transport within 30 minutes. Yeah, because they placed, right? Yes, uh, yeah, they, they placed him, so they have to pay for his transport. Right. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I would just, and there are benefits for the district. Um, don't let them tell you differently. If the scholarship is taken. They're done. They're done. The, the money's done. Everything's done. Um, districts work off of what is called a catastrophic report or catastrophic costs. And when they place children in alternate placements, obviously the states and feds come back and will you know, it's not all of their money, but we'll help out with, you know, returning some of that money at the end of the mm -hmm. year. So there are, and the cases that I get into is if they don't want to make that placement, then we're looking at a lot of services to keep that child safe, maybe. One-on-one mm -hmm. um, -on -one paraprofessional. And if you think about the salary for a one-on-one -on -one person for one child, you know, we're right up there with two of the top placements that I think that are around here. Mm -hmm. Um, so just, I think the autism scholarship is great when you're going into preschool because the districts will not place children because they don't have the data. And I completely understand that they cannot make a determination with ever, with not meeting them. But after that, you really need to look at, you know, when you're going through those IEP meetings and ETR as they get older, is that the least restrictive environment? Mm -hmm. And if it is, the district should be paying for that. Mm -hmm. When I would say, you know, LRE, which is another acronym, least, restri least restrictive environment. That's why I say LRE because I can't say it. Um, <laughs> I think when you talk about change of placement, that can be scary. I think it's really important for the parent to go visit mm -hmm. um, whatever location the district is proposing. Um, I think the school district, someone from, from the school district and the parents should go visit that because I do think parents are hesitant when a district says change of placement. But I think there are a number of kiddos that benefit from another another placement that's Absolutely. not public school because yeah. you know if you have a kiddo that has more needs than most they're not going to have those needs met in a public school most likely even with a one-on-one aid um you know maybe that other en environment has you know a crisis team or maybe they have a counselor or a mental health professional on staff you know up where i'm from we had a fantastic placement opportunity that was pretty expensive for the school district but it was well worth it because they had so many more services than a public school could offer. Um, so I know it's always hard for a parent to think about placing their child out of the public school, but sometimes it's be better for that child. So mm -hmm. I would say always visit, always ask questions, and, and see if it's the right choice. And what I think, too, the change of placement, the goal should be to transition back to public schools. I would say yes, but I think sometimes 
sometimes for that kiddo, it's not going to be in the child's best interest. The goal should be that, though. I, yeah. I do believe, you know, to mainstream them back in. But, yeah, obviously, if, if a child, you know, post-secondarily, we're working on functional skills and life skills, then the public setting, a high school is not going to be the right setting. You're right. Yeah. So, guys, um, wow. A lot of information. <laughs> Um, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this episode just to, (laughs) I know, just to take my own notes. Um, I, I feel like you've given us such good stuff to get started with. I feel like we also just scratched the surface Mm -hmm. on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like a future episode about. We've got our next, like. How many questions did we have? Right. So you're coming back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. yeah, we're going to come back. And we have to we have to do some more stuff with the school psych piece because that is a wealth of information yes. and we need your input on that. And Thank I, you. I know a lot of parents will want to hear your background and your expertise and being on both sides of the table that way is invaluable. Um, so yeah, we're we're gonna come back. So we'll just get awesome. the next. We'll just invite ourselves. Yes, we'll get the next. And it's six. nice because she gives me pushback. I mean, because we both worked on opposite sides, but I just know. in different well, roles. Well, I think you know, Chad. You know, IEP is is definitely his wheelhouse. ETR is mine. So I think we make a good team. Yeah, okay. that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and tell us again. Um, you know, if someone does need an advocate, if they do need some help, how do they contact you? Yes. Yeah, they can call into our office. Um, but document that you called? or <laughs> <laughs> No, our intake coordinator will do that. Um, call into our office, and Ashley is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. She is, I mean, really to the point that she knows where to kind of lead the case to, to, to which person. But, yeah, call our office, go on our website, look at our reviews and everything, and make sure, you know, that it's an advocate that you want to work with. Um, definitely do your research but then reach out mm-hmm. and then you'll have a consultation will be set up to see if we believe there's a case mm-hmm. and where to go from there mm-hmm. what phone number should they reach out to Uh-oh. should we ask ashley <laughs> yeah i should ashley. probably ask ashley okay. um, when we put this episode out we'll put the phone number yeah um there's a, <laughs> an office phone that i obviously don't No, because I'm on the road, so I'm using my cell phone a lot. So you want to call 614-745-2001. 614-745-2001. You want to make that happen. You can reach out to Chad Abraham or Danielle Randolph. There you go. Uh, I'm so proud of myself. Okay. So, guys, thanks for joining us today. And we just, we love our listeners. We're excited about what this next year is going to bring. And And t-shirts. And t-shirts. We love our listeners and we love t-shirts. And And koozies. Also, one thing, be looking on our website, Advocate, if you need help or not, because Danielle and I are going to be doing workshops. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Don't forget. Free workshops at that. Free workshop. And that give us the info on that again. It's every Thursday night. We're working it out. Yeah, we did it. Um, at the end of the school year, every Thursday night, and we had, you know, I think there were six, six or seven um, workshops on different things, like we uh-huh. did one on prior written notice, progress reports, yeah, ETA, things like that. We're looking to, with the feedback, revamp it a little bit, and actually, instead of having it here all the time, going it to different districts love it different locations. So, yeah it. so like delaware yes. you know i think the first Maybe one the east side yes. yeah no absolutely we're, we're going to delaware yeah. library to do one nice. um 
So I would encourage, you know, all parents, even if you're not in the special education process yet, but like we talked about, you suspect there might be some. Come listen to us. I think, it's free. You know, a caregiver. You know, if you're a grandparent yeah. that's taking care of a grandchild with special needs, just to get more information on how to help. I will charter a bus and get people there. So <laughs> yeah, we welcome everybody. The questions. Knowledge is power. So okay. take advantage of it. It's so great that you guys are offering that. It's yeah. an amazing resource. Yeah, big time. So everybody check us out um, again on Instagram and Facebook at Normal with Autism. And stay tuned for awesome stuff we can't talk about. Yes. And again, here is, thank you to our guests. Again, Chad and Danielle, you guys are great. Thank you to you two ladies, too, for fighting the good fight yes. You know, with us. And as I know, <laughs> and as always, here's to the complexity in our journeys, the highs and the lows. May those who observe us do so with compassion, um, compassion especially for our amazing kiddos. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.